book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Thank you for putting up with us with the festivities. I'm in a series called At Face Value. And, you know, we've been talking about values, vision and values of a church. They tend to go together. But if, if you want to, you know, be honest, most of the churches that I know, they really do share similar vision. We are trying to reach the world around us. We're trying to influence people for Jesus. So, you know, we, we do share the same vision in so many ways. So really, it's the values that you have that separates you, that distinguish you, that give you a distinction. Now, sometimes it's over doctrine, but a lot of times it just has to do with values. So I, I really enjoy highlighting and teaching on the things that I value, the things that we value as a church. They're things that help determine who we are and, and set us apart. So I want to read a prayer that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm in the 11th verse, and I just want to read this prayer that he prayed, and we'll get started. He said, uh, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let's pray. All right, Lord, I just thank you today for your sweet spirit in this house. And I thank you that you would direct our hearts towards you, towards one another, that we would increase and abound in the love of God today. I thank you, Lord, for growing us and increasing us in mighty ways. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. A lot of people keep track of time, you know, when New Year's comes around. And comes to an I personally keep track of time by Super Bowls. That's, that's how I do it, because when football season comes to an end, it's kind of sad. It's the end of the year. I'm 43. I remember 37 Super Bowls. That's what I remember. My first Super Bowl memory was the first grade, 1987. And the Broncos lost to the Washington Redskins 42 to 10, and I had to go to school the next day. And fortunately, my first grade teacher, Miss Hayes, was a Broncos fan. So she gave me an extra helping of candy that day. I remember that. She comforted me, put her arm around me. I remember I ran into her at the hospital when Abigail was born and reminded her of that. That was great. I, I, I do like to tell the story of uh, a guy named Ray Lewis. He played football for the Baltimore Ravens. And this was 2015, and they were playing the Niners. That was when the Ravens won. And Ray Lewis is a Hall of Fame player. He's a Christian. Now, he torn a pectoral muscle the night before the game in practice. And he, he didn't know if he could play, but he, he got out there, he did it. And then the other Hall of Famer they had, the defense, Ed Reed, he hurt his knee in the first quarter of the game. And the two of them, playing with injuries, got through the game, they won the game, and at the end they were interviewing him, they said, Ray, how did you guys pull it together and overcome these injuries to win this game? And he said, we fought through the pain because we love each other. And that just stuck out to me so much, how love can help you get through some very difficult things. So that's what this series is about. It's about the values we have. We value people, which means we love people. And the value we have is love. Last week, the value is truth. And I'm building upon that with the spirit of love today. Now, I want you to jump down to verse number three of chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. Here's what the scripture says. This is the will of God, your sanctification. I'm gonna stop right there. Do you know what the word sanctification means? It's like a $5 theological word which means that God is in the process of pruning you, cleansing you. Uh, he, he's making you into his image. It's, it, it's, it's uh, where you get consecrated, 
which means that you're set apart and separated to the Lord. So do you know what sets us apart from the world? And you know what one of the great distinctions about our church, one of our characteristics is, is that we love people. So love is what sets us as believers apart from the world. It's love. We have a friendly church. And I remember I had visitors tell me that. They, they had been visiting across Montana uh, because they were working. So they went from one end of the state to the next end of the state visiting churches. They said we were the 48th church they visited. And they told me out there in the hallway, they said, you are by far the friendliest church we've been to. I thought that was great, man. Friendly church, man. They felt love. That, that, that is what Jesus said would distinguish us from the world. By this, Jesus said, you will know uh, that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. So perhaps the greatest value we have is love because that is the greatest commandment. I mean, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So I like to have a church where taught so we don't get goofy and caught up in false doctrines. But I love to have a place that's filled with God's love. It's one of my favorite topics to teach on. And I, I get to teach on the love of God today. We get to watch the Super Bowl. It's a great day for me. Fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I'm telling you, it is loaded with some lessons on the love of God. So the first lesson I want to highlight about God's love here, and I'm looking at chapter 4, this third verse again. He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he starts to define it, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That would mean that you're not sleeping with people that you're not married to. Abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that's your body, along with its impulses, its passions, its desires. He said, possess that in sanctification and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God. You know, Paul is writing to a culture that was awash with debauchery. I mean, the Roman culture, the Greek culture, uh, they had no thought of, of you know, sexual morality. And then he said this in verse 6, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we forewarned you and testified. Now, these are some interesting verses. Here's the point that I want to make as I prayed through this. The first thing I can tell you about love is that love is not manipulative. Love does not try to manipulate from people. That's when you use your influence and your you know, charming, magnanimous personality to try to coerce someone uh, into trying to get or, you know, what, what you want from them. It, take advantage of and defraud. That means you're overstepping your bounds in an attempt to gain someone from someone. And the context here, as you read, is sexual. I mean, he, he's telling you here that, you know, the society they lived in then and the society we live in now it is like awash with... with sexual immorality. It's right in front of your eyes. And that's the way the world understands love. How do I know that? Because I've watched too many Super Bowl halftime shows. I was alive to one of those Super Bowls I remember was the Nipplegate. I don't know if you remember that one. Justin Timberlake. And it was like a big thing then. And that was years ago. And so, you know, like now you've got the same thing. You've got this, this sexualized society. You're going to watch Super Bowl ads today with scantily clad women. It's like part of the culture we're in. But love does not take sexual advantage of someone. It says in verse 6 something very interesting. The Lord is the avenger of all such. Interesting thought. You know, we had a foster kid who we let in the home. Mom had foster kids for years. And so some of them had real problems. And this particular one, he 
was a sexual deviant, and he had an extensive history doing some things, so they told us to watch him, and we were taking care of him. And I lost track with him, and he'd come to church for a while. I really liked the kid. I found him in Oregon. He had been arrested for molesting 60-year-old woman. He's breaking their apartments. He's in the Oregon prison. And, you know, you think, well, that's culture. Well, listen, let me tell you something. The church world is awash with it as well. In fact, there's a huge scandal taking place in Kansas City. And one of the a well-known minister, I mean, he's getting exposed for all kinds of you know, problems that have happened for years. And it's, it's like, man, before that, there was an apologist who was well-known. Everyone loved the man. When he died, all these scandals came out. There's a, a you know, church in New York that is well-known for their music, and they had one scandal after another scandal, had to fire the pastor. And before that, there was Jimmy Swagger, long, long time ago. You all remember those days. I'm just telling you, man. It, it tells me it's human nature. So there's plenty of believers that caught up with this, too. They don't have that conviction. I've talked to people like that. Well, I just don't have that conviction, which I think is funny because if you read your Bibles down in verse 8, it says, if you reject this advice, you reject the Holy Spirit. That's what the scripture says. So manipulation is when you take something from someone. Um, I think about King David's son, Amnon, who raped his sister, Tamar. And that's that 2 Samuel 13. When that happened, he immediately got rid of her. Because he didn't love her, he was trying to manipulate the situation. He took, but it didn't meet the meat. So when I think about a church culture, when I think about who we are as a church, what you want to see take place, you want to have a church where people are not manipulative. We don't have to manipulate you by giving. We've got offering boxes in the back. If you feel led to give, you can give in those boxes. Studies say if you pass the plate, you're going to get more money in. But we don't have to put pressure on you. The Lord has met our needs. He'll continue to meet those needs. Uh, I don't have to manipulate people by asking them how to serve at the church. I mean, the sweet spot that you find is something that you enjoy and something that challenges you. That's the place you can serve and be so effective. But if you feel pressured into something, ultimately you're not going to like it. You're not going to last in that situation. And we don't have to manipulate with demands because, you know, love doesn't demand anything from anybody. The only thing that love demands something is from yourself so you can be a blessing to somebody else. That, that, there's no manipulation in that. And that. That's a characteristic of love. God's love is free, and it comes without strings attached, and aren't you glad for it? Love is not manipulative. Second lesson about the love of God. I'm in the same chapter. Look at verse number nine. Concerning brotherly love, Greek word phileo, uh, where we get like the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The, the, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught. Someone say taught. You're taught by God to love. And this is a different Greek word. This is the Greek word agape. You're taught by God to love one potential. Here is what this verse tells me about love. It tells me that love has got growth potential. It, love is one of those things that's it's not stagnant or stuck somewhere. Love increases. And the Greek words that I showed you, they reveal the progression. Because you go from brotherly love into the agape love of God. You know, the thing about humanity is we're hardwired to, to love people. Like you, you, you love your children you love your friends. Jesus even said tax collectors will do that. But when we talk about the love of God, we're talking about a divine love, a, a love that uh, 
it only comes from God. It's a word that the writer of the Bible, Paul, he created the word to describe it. You know, the more you grow in love, the holier you become before God. Love is something that matures you. It's like having kids. You know, I have children. They have matured me. I got a phone call on Thursday. They said, your daughter is sick. She needs you to come get her. So I went over to the school there, and I came in the door, and I saw Abigail sitting there, and she looked up at me, and she had a little blue puke bag, and she looked at me and threw up everywhere. Yeah, and now I'm a mature man. I have to clean that up. I'm like, can I get some wipes over here? We clean her up, take care of her. I mean, that, that's maturity. That's, that's, that's loving people. I had no thoughts about it. Now, 10 years ago, I would have had a problem. But... <laughs> you know, today, like, <laughs> love matures. It grows. My sweet wife is wearing a Broncos thing with me today. Yeah, you know, she wasn't always a football fan. It took a while. And she went through phases of understanding the game, and one of the phases she went through was to root against my team. Because <laughs> our love has matured. <laughs> so we love each other. Love increases your capacity for people. You become more patient with people. You have more compassion for people. You have more understanding with people. It's like that the love of God in you allows you to be a better person, a better friend. You, you, you see them in a different light. You're not so judgmental. And the beautiful thing about love that I've discovered is it's amazing, limitless. It, it's got an infinite, infiniteness to it, an infinitude about it. Where's my boy Kyle at? Kyle's been teaching all the men through a book, and he uses the word infinitude, infinitude of God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because because that means that there's no limit to its potential. It, it's the answer for the problems you have. How do I know that? That's what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. So loving someone is the solution to the problem. Like the solution you have, it might need to be forgiving somebody. The solution might be putting up a boundary that's enforced by the love of God. Maybe the solution has to do with turning the other cheek. These are solutions, and they, they operate through God's love. When you're filled with the love of God, the potential, the, 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 the capacity you have increases and increases and increases. And what I like to think about is a church filled with people who are always growing, growing in their walk with God, growing in their wisdom, growing in wonder, because love is at work in their heart. So that's, that's, that's a great key for personal development. Maybe this could be a year for you to grow in the love of God like never before. Yeah. I'm telling you, your, your love can increase and abound one to another, as the scripture says. Lesson number three about the love of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 10. He said, uh, he's talking about loving people. He said, you love people and, and do so towards all the brethren in Macedonia. But he said, I urge you that you increase more and more so your love can grow. That you, and then he gives us, this verse is interesting, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, just as we have commanded you. Now, here's what the verse tells me about the love of God. That love produces a sense of security in your life. A sense of security. It's calming. The love of God brings the peace of God into your life. And what that means is it takes away your need to have to justify yourself. I like what 1 John 4, 18 says. That the love of God is perfect. It, it casts out fear. When you've got love in your heart, you don't have to feel that need to impress people, 
to justify your behavior, to make yourself look amazing. You have a sense of security. So when people feel love, you can kind of see how they respond to things. And I think this verse, you know, they kind of describe what happens when people feel love and how they respond. They respond with humility. Uh, That means they aspire to lead a quiet life. Because, you know, when you don't feel love, when you feel like you've got something to prove, that's when you go, 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 and you do, 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 and you wear yourself out trying to make yourself look amazing on social media. Come on, somebody. You're doing everything you can to try to gain attention, to try to be a big shot. And when you feel love, you, you, you don't have that need to, to, to be needed. You, you can, it, it's not a driving force that's pushing you to try to get attention. The, there's an interesting play on words in the Greek language right here. When he said aspire to lead a quiet life, it means that you should be ambitious about not being ambitious. That's literally what it says. You know, I, I, I have a church. I mean, there's always something driven. I'm remodeling a home. We've got kids doing things. We have a church. I mean, there's always something to do, but I always try to watch ambition. It's one thing to be driven. It's okay to be driven. It's not right to be ambitious. Ambitious people get themselves into problems, and it's because they are looking for something because they're not settled and secure in the love of God. Here's how people respond when they feel love. They, They respond with wisdom. That means that you know how to mind your own business. You don't meddle in other people's affairs. That's just the wisdom of God and the love of God. You don't have to be involved in all their drama. Because you know people got lots of drama, isn't that right? You know, I went to church with a pastor one time, and he would brag about it. I always know what's going on in my church. I know what's everything. I, I, the Spirit of the Lord will tell me. And, and I, I was like, now that I've pastored sometime, I'm like, hey, that's great, man. But less is more for me. I don't have to know everything. I mean, it's called plausible deniability. <laughs> I don't need to know all the problems that are taking place. And sometimes it's good to be shocked. I didn't have to know. St- I mean, that, that's just wisdom at work. I don't need to know because I feel loved. People who feel love respond with diligence. They work with their own hands. Because if you're diligent, you will increase more and more and more. I like what Proverbs 12 says. The hand of the diligent makes rich. Diligent people are usually very loving people. You know why? Because they have increase in their life, and they want to be a blessing to somebody else. That's love. It's when you can bless people. You know, prosperity is when my needs are met, but I have enough. I have more than enough to help meet the needs of somebody else. And that's what happens when you're diligent and when you're generous and when you're secure in who you are and you can be a blessing. And I'm so grateful I got to live with grandma and grandpa Man, I watched those guys work and give and be a blessed. They love to do it because they felt secure about God's love. The peace of God should reign over your life. Man, it reigns in this church. And I'm just so grateful that we have a church full of secure people. How do I know that we've got secure people here at church? Because we don't have a lot of drama over here. Praise God for that. I've been to churches with drama. It's usually over mismanagement of money. Or they've got people who have little wisdom in positions of power. I'm just telling you. When you feel the love of God at work, that's where you have security. You know what? I, I, I can just be a blessing. I, I don't feel the need to have to draw attention to myself. I can be a blessing to someone else. Now, another lesson about the love of God. I love this fourth chapter. First lesson is 4, verse 12. He said, 
If you're walking in love and you're increasing and you're minding your own business, he said, you can walk properly towards those who are outside. So you lack nothing. Here's what it tells me about the love of God. Love is a compelling force. It compels you. Now, the phrase here, he talks about people, he's talking here about the unsaved. He's talking about unbelievers and the lost. And the Bible describes those people as being outside. It mentions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We read it here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says a minister needs to have a good reputation among those who are outside. So I always like to find unsaved people and friend them. I want them to have good experiences with pastors. You would be shocked at some of the comments I've heard from people, good or bad, about their experiences with pastors. But I want them to have good ones. Uh, loving someone is the greatest witness that you have, man. I mean, when you are full of love, it draws people. And there are innumerable ways that you can love people. Perhaps the most common way you love people is with your words. Uh, you know, the, the, when you express value and you affirm people and you build them up, people love to hear that. It's Valentine's Day. It's a good time for you to express love to your wife. And I found some of the most effective way with words is to get them written out. It's something I feel like I need to grow in is expressing love in writing to my wife. And this year, I did get roses on Valentine's Day. I already got them early. I was ahead of it. I know that she does not like... She likes roses. I, I know that. That's all I need to know. When you love people, it means you speak well of them in private. I have been with people who don't seem to be able to do that. It's like if they have a chance in private, they'll start bashing on somebody. I, I, I grew out of that in high school. I, if, I, I want love to be expressed because I can speak well of someone behind the scenes. Love acts with, you know, acts of service and, and kindness. I'll never forget when I was working in a car wash. And, you know, people knew I was wanting to be a pastor, so they're always watching you. And I saw a homeless guy with a, you know, a shopping cart out in the alley, and I went out there and gave him a few dollars and half of my sandwich. And the guy I was working with, he was so blown away by that. And it opened up the opportunity for me to start talking to him about the Lord. He listened to me. Uh, you, you can demonstrate love by serving at church somewhere. I mean, you saw children up here. We always need help with the kids' ministry. That's a labor of love where you can be a blessing to somebody. Uh, you know, your smile at the door when people come in. That might be one of the greatest things you could do. Just be an authentic person and smile and bless somebody, and it might make someone's day just seeing that. You can love people with sacrifice. This is what happens uh, when you have children, I mean, you might put off purchases so that you can provide for children. I, I've seen my parents do that. I, you know, at church, there's things we wanted to do, but we made sacrifices so we could be a blessing and give to, to missions and outreach projects because that's what love is. Love, love can be expressed that way. And you really get to love people through joy. It, it, people respond to authentic joy when they see it. it's alluring. It's like a bug zapper in a fly. They see authenticity, joy. You know what's a funny thing? I feel like we have lost the crown jewel of Christianity these days, which is contentment in the love of God. I mean, you know, sometimes people just get so excited about increasing and going to the next level and breakthroughs, but I think about the Apostle Paul who was writing these epistles from jail. I've been to the prisons he wrote them in. 
And yet he was contentment. He knew how to base, I know how to be abound. And if you as a believer know how to be content, if you know how to let your joy come out, if you're just satisfied with the goodness of the Lord in your life, man, I'm telling you, it draws people to you. They love it. They love seeing that. They, they love it. When we were in Israel, I'll never forget one of the shopkeepers. He said, man, you Christians have so much joy. I envy what you have. And what he saw was that joy, that contentment, that peace of God in my life, in our lives. So you want to let your light so shine, isn't that right? Be a witness, be a blessing, smile, love people. I'm telling you, man, that's a witness. Now, if you were to continue reading in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you get into the doctrine of eschatology. And I do believe that Paul here is writing about the rapture. Later on in the end of the chapter, he said, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And that kind of tells me about the fifth lesson uh, uh, in the love of God. And I want to go back to the verse that we opened up with, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and look at verse number 12. He said, the Lord make you increase and abound. You see that theme everywhere? You can increase and abound in your love. It can grow in you. Its capacity can increase and increase and increase. He said that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Now, here's what this verse tells me. That love is what keeps your heart prepared for the Lord's return. When your heart is filled with love, your heart is prepared for him coming. You, you keep your heart ready, your posture is set like you're looking for it. You're watching for it. The scripture says to keep your heart with all diligence. And if you can keep love as a priority in your heart, you will be ready for the Lord's coming. The love of God is what prepares you for the Lord's return. I'm telling you, man, we are living the last days. It's not a scary time. It's an amazing time to be alive. And I, I know we're in that time because... I look at what's taking place in Israel. Israel's been restored as a nation. That's what the scripture says. All nations are gathered. It's like everyone's watching it. Right now, it's a, the fuse is set, man. And, and, and Hezbollah is shooting rockets at Israel in the northern part. I mean, you're on the brink of some serious stuff, biblical prophecy. And then I think about the convergence of all the signs. Technology is increasing in the last days. You can look at you know, uh, the immorality that exists, the culture that's taking place. And I love Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. I mean, it's great to be part of a church. We get to get the gospel sent off in different nations of the world. We had a bishop in from Tanzania this last week. I get a, we had Chris Michelson at the beginning of the year working overseas in Pakistan. It's being preached in the nations of the world. But let me tell you what else Matthew 24 says. It says the love of many will grow cold. It tells you in Matthew 24, verse 10, that people will be offended. They'll be upset. And I'm telling you, that's the time we're living in. But if you keep your heart full of God's love, you will be ready. Unpreparedness is the point of many of Jesus' parables about his coming. How do you keep your heart prepared for the Lord's return? You do it by being watchful. I watch when I have daily devotions. Man, I love to spend time with God every day. I'm praying. I'm reading, and when I'm doing that, I'm keeping the oil in my lamp. I think that's the number one thing you can do is that daily quiet time. And I meet so many people, they don't make it a priority. But if you meet with the Lord daily, if you take that time to spend daily time yourself in the Scripture, you know what I found out by doing that? I have found 
And even when you go through dry moments or dry times, the fact that you've been consistently doing it will keep the oil going so you can hear the Lord speak to you even in dry moments. I know it. I've been in dry moments, and yet I've heard the Lord speak to me. He's helped me. He's corrected me. He's given me grace and encouragement even in dry times because I've stayed with him. Here, you want to keep your heart ready? Be conscious. Do not harden your heart. In my house that we bought, we have a water softener system because it's got hard water. Hard water starts destroying your pipes. It gets mineral buildup, and then it starts ruining you know, some of the, uh, util- or the uh, appliances that are there. And some people have hard hearts, and they got to know how to regulate that heart. And that's why Colossians says you add a words of grace seasoned with salt. It keeps your heart soft. And that's what you got to do is be conscious to keep that heart soft. Be gracious in the things that you say. Keep, keep, keep that heart pure. Don't let it get hard. Don't let it get offended. Don't let it get bitter. And you have to be intentional. That means you're not ignorant. Not ignorant about decisions you're making with your money, in your marriage, in the way that you spend your time, in the teams that you pick for the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's a good thing to join a marriage small group like we're doing here. Because that is an intentional act that says, I am going to keep my heart right and growing in my marriage. That, that's something that helps you stay focused. It's, it's, uh, we, we're living in these last days, and we want to keep our heart ready, ready for his return, watching and praying, because Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. That means you go through ups and downs, goods and bads, trials. It rains on the just. It rains on the unjust. Sometimes it's difficult days. But just like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, uh, we're going to go through some difficult things together. But we're going to endure and finish the race because we love each other. Isn't that right? Love of God can... Yeah, we love each other in this church. And we are looking for the Lord's return. Hey, the love of God can be yours to give. And it can be yours to share and partake. What a beautiful thing. It's free. And here's how you do that. You do not be manipulative. In a sense, everyone is a little bit manipulative. Myself included. I have had the Lord correct me about that. I've had him speak to me and ask me the question, why are you doing that? Is that genuine? Is that really what's in your heart? What is the motive behind what you're doing? And I've had to face situations where I myself may have been manipulative with something. I'm trying to control an outcome. I want something to happen. That's not real love. Real love is when it's something free. You don't have to try to manipulate it. Maybe this is about you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. You got to keep those daily devotions going. They keep my sanity. When I have daily devotions, they even my life through come what may ups and downs. And that allows me to grow. It's that little bit I get better every day. Daily fellowship with God, weekly church attends. I'm with the people of God. That's how I'm growing. And, and this is where a deep sense of security comes from. When I spend time with God every day, every day, every day, when I'm growing, when I'm with the right people, the love of God starts permeating my life. It starts saturating me. It, it start, it's a foundation for me to live my life by. Yeah. Or w- when you're a witness, you should be a witness. Let the light shine in your heart. All you have to do is love someone, serve them well, thank them, be grateful, identify the good things that you see in people. If you can be a person full of love, 
you have no problem being a witness. People will remember the way that you made them feel. They'll remember the things of the Lord. And you better be ready for the Lord's return, man. Are you watching for it? Are you looking? You know, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl today. That comes around once a year. One day a year. There's things that people watch every day. I mean, they get caught up with all kinds of stuff. Be watching Facebook reels. They get sucked into watching all kinds of things. You want to be watching for the Lord's return. And, And you know that you're doing it when your heart is touched by it, when you love him, when you're eager for him, when you think about who he is and how wonderful he is. It's his love. And I, I just want to pray that over you. I want to pray. Maybe, maybe you need to grow in the love of God in your life. Maybe it's growing in the wisdom of God. Hmm. Who wants to grow this next year in God's love? Hmm. You know, I just sense in my spirit, like deep roots, like deep roots on a tree. And I feel like there's a deep, deep well in this church of love. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the love of God like a well, like a deep well. And I pray for an overflowing abundance of God's love to be poured out. Like, like, Father, it's it's just coming up to the surface. I pray, Lord, that our people here would walk in love towards one another. We'd be free of manipulation. We'd be free of criticism. We'd be free of judgment to one another. I thank you, Father, for a house where we're able to love well. And because of that, the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit in operation. Mm. I thank you for the love of God enriching us. I thank you for your love, Lord. Mm. And I, I, I just feel like we need to surrender to it, love at work. That's what it demands from us. It demands that we're a blessing to other people demands that we turn the other cheek, forgive people, move and when you say move and be generous when you lead us to give. I just thank you for the love of God operating in our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen, amen. Amen. You know, I had a word for... Uh, Amanda Kinsman, but she's working with the uh, coffee department, so I'll have to grab her later. I do my best prophesying out in the fellowship hall, though. <laughs> oh, man, I, I just feel like I love you. You know who loves you more than I do? Jesus. He loves you. He paid an incredible price for your soul, and you will never experience real security, real peace, real wisdom, real love without him. You can be loaded with money. You can be popular beyond your wildest dreams, but you'll never experience real love outside of God's love for you. And he demonstrated that on the cross when he paid the price for your sin. If anyone in here doesn't know the Lord, I just want to take a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you can't say, I've experienced that kind of love, a love that is without limits, I want to pray with you. I'd like you to put a hand up and open your heart up to receive God's love. Incredible thing about it. It bends all your theological prisms because it's just receiving, not earning. Yeah, I see that hand. I see it. So just, just pray this after me. Say, Father, I receive your love in my life and I thank you for forgiving me of sin. And I love you 
and I want to walk with you. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you're sincere, I would love to meet with you. Let's stand up this morning as, as we get ready to go. Mm. I feel the love of God at work. Ooh, I feel the love of God. Mm. Mm. You know, it's a funny thing. When you are in love, like you want to go see your person, your, your, your significant other. You want to see your wife. You want to see that person. Can't wait to see them. And it should be the same thing with the Lord. I look forward to my quiet time. I look forward to what's coming in my life. And I just want to encourage you with that, man. What's coming in, in your life this next year, if you pursue love, if you grow in it, man, he'll meet you in some amazing times. Amen? Amen, amen. Do you feel the peace of the Lord in here? Amen, I feel it, I feel it. Mm. Father, I just thank you for your love. I pray it over every person here in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said Amen. Amen. You can sign up for the marriage classes out there. We had a great time at our marriage dinner night. That was so much fun. Thank you for putting that on. I hope that you enjoy the game today. Great to see you. We love you. God bless you. We'll catch you all next week.